When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com, and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards as you share content, because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and this is episode number 14. I do hope you've had the chance to get out in the last couple of weeks. We had a really good cold front come through not long ago here in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, let me tell you, I don't know about for you, but the deer were absolutely on their feet. Uh, Saw let's see four bucks in two days two of which were really nice uh would have been very very happy with them but just wasn't able to seal the deal uh now as i'm recording this we are smack in the middle of what some would call the october lull but let me tell you don't let that keep you at home on the couch especially as the days get cooler uh, i have been seeing lots of activity on my trail cameras been seeing a lot of deer when i do get out to hunt and so uh, yeah, don't let the October law, the supposed October law, keep you at home. We're just a little bit away from when things are really going to get exciting, though. So I'm looking forward to a uh, couple of days chasing some rutting bucks. I've got a rutcation scheduled. Uh, really looking forward to spending, I think, five, five days straight that I'm going to be able to hunt. And then a couple of afternoons before and probably a couple of mornings after that that I'm still able to Uh, to get out. So a couple of housekeeping things before we jump into our episode for today. Number one, if you haven't already, go over and subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you access this podcast and leave us a review. That would be super, super helpful. Leave us a written review if you can. Let us know, one, how we can uh, improve this podcast, make it a better resource for you as Wisconsin sportsmen and sportswomen. Uh, But also, it lets other people know that, hey, this podcast ain't that crappy. So, uh, yeah, anyway, leave us a review if you can. You can also check us out on Instagram. And I did want to mention, uh, I've had a couple of you guys reach out to me already. I really, really appreciate your feedback on Instagram. If you are having success out there, be sure to tag me in your photos. I want to see what it is that you're putting down. Uh, and also, if you've got a good story, if you've got a, a buck that you've taken that maybe you were targeting or uh, maybe you just lucked out, maybe you stumbled into a spot and got lucky and put one on the ground, uh, reach out to me and let me know. Uh, Instagram's the absolute best way to do that. Uh, but I, I would love to have you on the episode. I'd love to have some listener success stories sprinkled in throughout the next couple of uh, weeks And so if, if that's you, if you've been having success or if you're chasing a target buck and you haven't quite sealed the deal yet, but you're pretty confident you're going to reach out to me and let me know, I'd love to have you on the podcast. All right, with that stuff out of the way, we're going to talk about today's episode. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are getting right into that time of year when I know uh, myself and a lot of you guys are going to be absolutely grinding. You're going to be hunting five, six, seven days in a row. A lot of you are going to be pulling all-day sits. If not all-day sits, you're going to be sitting for longer than normal as the rut kicks off. And so um, one of the things that I really wanted to cover and talk about on this podcast is uh, really just the the mental side of hunting. If you aren't dialed in mentally before you begin that grind, 
it's going to be really easy to slack off. It's going to be really easy to uh, take a morning and head in through uh, an access that's easy and convenient, but maybe blows all the deer out. Or you're going to sit that stand that's just uh, easy to get to. Maybe it's not the best one, but hey, at least it's easy and you're sitting in a tree. Or you're going to have some adversity. You're going to miss a deer. You're going to wound a deer. Something like that is going to happen, and or maybe somebody messes up one of your hunts. You're going to have a bad day, and you're going to meet adversity. And how do you recover from adversity? How do you keep going? Because this is the absolute, uh, this rut period is going to be the absolute best time for you to get a deer on the ground. And so uh, we want to maximize that time. But a lot of times our mind messes us up. And so uh, I've got Mark Kenyon on. If you're not familiar with Mark, you can head over to uh, the meat eater. Uh, com and check out uh, everything that he's doing with Wired to Hunt. He also hosts uh, a little podcast called Wired to Hunt. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not, but, uh, you know, surely if you're listening to this, then you've heard of Wired to Hunt. So anyway, Mark's a great guy, uh, and he has talked more than anybody that I know of uh, about the mental side of bow hunting, and that's what we're going to get into today. It's a little bit different than, you know, your typical podcast that might say, hey, five ways to kill a buck during the rut or four reasons that you should be sitting over scrapes or three reasons why rut funnels are overrated. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. Uh, I think it's overdone. I think those things are overblown. uh, And I think they don't take into account how situational everybody's uh, hunting scenario is. But the one thing that we all have in common is we all have a brain and we all have a brain that likes to mess us up when it comes to doing hard things and grinding when it comes to deer hunting. So I wanted to have Mark on and that's what I did. He's uh, did a, we had a wonderful conversation, really looking forward to sharing this with you. Um, so yeah, with all that out of the way, I'm going to go ahead and cut this intro and we're going to get right into the conversation with Mark Kenyon. All right. On the line with me today is none other than the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Mark Kenyon. How you doing, Mark? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. You know, uh, just a few days before uh, a mutual friend of ours introduced us over, over email, I'd actually already reached out to you. So this is kind of a Kind of ended up being good timing. Uh, it worked could, out, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, for listeners who, by some miracle, are familiar with my show and don't know what you do, uh, tell us a little bit about you and give us a rundown of your corner of the outdoor space. Yeah, uh, well, I guess my main stick is that I run Wired to Hunt. Uh, so I founded Wired to Hunt back in 2008. Uh, wow. as a deer hunting blog, a whitetail hunting blog. And since then, it's grown into a larger brand, always whitetail focused, uh, but it grew into a podcast and YouTube channel, um, kind of all forms of media, all focused on diehard whitetail deer hunting. And so grew that and eventually went full-time with it in 2013. And then in 2018, I merged Wired to Hunt with Meat Eater. Uh, so now Wired Hunt is a part of the Meat Eater brand um, underneath that umbrella. And uh, I'm fortunate that we're still doing the same kind of stuff, though. We've got we've got a, a section of the website now dedicated to whitetail hunting on the Meat Eater website. We've got our YouTube channel still. We're pump, pumping out educational videos. We've got a podcast, of course, with uh, starting here in just a couple of weeks, three episodes a week. Uh, wow. So all sorts of, uh, of deer hunting content there. And uh, and that's most of what I do. I I talk about, I write about, um, I film whitetail deer hunting, and uh, I also write about conservation, public land issues too. Wrote a book about that, 
And I oh guess, yeah, little little book out there, right? Yes, little book out there. So yeah, I guess I'm busy uh, and and lucky I get to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. So I guess I didn't realize you started the blog in 2004 and didn't go full time until 2013. 2008. 2008. Oh, sorry. So you were and you was, were grinding for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, from 2008 to 2009, that was from the summer between my junior and senior year of college up until I graduated and, and we'll tell the following fall and I started my full-time job. And so I started it that summer. I was on an internship in New York city and kind of miserable. And I thought if I started deer hunting website, I could kind of scratch my itch of wanting to be outside doing those things, but I wasn't able to. So I started it as just like a, a little hobby thing. Uh, sure. And then fast forward about a year later, now I'm in the real world working a full-time job and I'm in California. And again, I'm like, oh gosh, I want to be doing this stuff and I can't do it. I need to scratch this itch again. And that's when I decided, you know what? Why don't I take that thing I started last summer as a little fun thing? Why don't I try to turn that into what I do? Um, so it was really the fall of 2009 that I dedicated myself to building it into a real thing. Okay. Um, and it was four years from that point until gotcha. I was able to quit. Gotcha. So how long, uh, how much of this stuff was in your wheelhouse? So like, videography, photography, writing, how much of that was already in your wheelhouse and how much of it was, I just have a passion and I got to figure out how to get this done. Uh, it was the latter. I had okay. no, I had no training in writing, photography, videography, none of it. Uh, I went to school for business. So that was the only thing I had like an actual background in was, was marketing and advertising and that kind of stuff. So the business stuff certainly helped. Um, but I self-taught myself to write. I mean, other than basic like high school English and stuff, self my taught the writing thing, self-taught photography, self-taught video, self-taught podcast, self-taught how to build a website, how to do all those things. Um, it was it was just basically I'm really passionate about this stuff, really excited about it, incredibly curious to learn how to do all these things and share my experiences and stories. And so I just kind of dove in head first and try to figure out how to swim. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I've been I've been listening to you for a number of years uh, on your podcast for for uh, a number of years, and um, yeah, you've, you. you've been doing a lot of really cool stuff, and uh, it's been awesome to watch the progression over the years. You know, but starting back in the days with uh, with Dan on there as the guest host, and you know, I, I still go back and listen to some of those old episodes. They're kind of fun yeah, those now. are good ones. Back. Yeah, that's right. That was fun. That was right. fun. Well, um, so I know your focus is always on deer season, even when you're doing other things, right? But it's time to sort of kick things into overdrive. We're recording this uh, mid-August, right? So uh, what has you excited heading into this deer season? Whew, a lot of stuff. It's going to be my craziest whitetail season probably ever. Um, working on a couple exciting new video projects uh, with Wired to Hunt and Meat Eater. So because of that, I've got a very extensive travel schedule um, that's both exciting and terrifying. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I am excited about it. I'll be getting to experience a really diverse breadth of white, whitetail hunting and what the whitetail hunting tradition looks like across the country. So I'm going to go everywhere from the far northeast up in Maine all the way down to Texas, all the way up to Idaho and Nebraska. I'm going to experience, you know, heartland cliche whitetail hunting in places like Wisconsin and Iowa. 
and then also see something like totally outside of the norm, like hunting in the suburbs of Washington, DC and oh, Virginia. Cool. Um, so, and then I'm going to experience some like deep, well, I don't know if you call it deep South, but kind of like mountain South and Arkansas hunting. So really going to get to get outside of my Midwest bubble and, um, see new things, see new places, learn a lot. Uh, I'm going on kind of like a, I don't know what you'd call it. Um, an immersive educational experience of learning about how many people approach whitetail hunting in many different ways. And, uh, and that excites me because I, I just, uh, if there's anything that's consistent about me, I think, and probably p- folks that have followed me would, would see this is that I am, I'm obsessed with learning. I love, I'm very mm-hmm. curious. I'm really interested about learning new things, exploring new ideas. And, uh, I think this will be a great opportunity this season to do that when it comes to, to deer hunting. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So you, you said you're coming to Wisconsin. Can you share any of the details there for those of us who are living in this state? Yeah, a um, little bit. Um, the game plan right now is to go up and meet with uh, with a guy in Buffalo County oh, uh, cool. okay. who has uh, a long and extensive history with kind of the the bread and butter of what a lot of people think about when we think about whitetail hunting, which is like Midwest whitetail management, all that kind of stuff. So I mentioned all these different places I'm going that have very different styles of hunting and very different ways of going about things. Excuse me. It seemed like I'm, if I'm going to see all these other crazy different types of things, we also need to do a deep dive into the thing that everybody talks about, but let's sure. take a deeper look into it and explore how it started how it was popularized, uh, where these things started and what does that mean for where it's going? And I don't think there's many other places more fitting to, to have that conversation than in Buffalo County where yeah. so much of that began. So, so that's the Wisconsin game plan. We're going to be there in January for the very end of the season. Oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, okay. should be fun. Yeah. Should be fun and snowy. Yes. Cold, <laughs> snowy. Um, I'll be very tired after a long season. So hopefully I can, uh, muster up enough uh, long-term cold weather endurance to uh, to survive yeah for sure I uh you know I'm I'm from the deep south I'm originally from Alabama last year was my first year hunting in Wisconsin and I hunted in January in the deep snow and that was a very different experience different, than hunting sure. the piney woods of Alabama so yeah um well let's let's shift into our topic today when I originally reached out to you I wanted to chat with you a bit about the mental side of bow hunting and there, there were a few reasons that I wanted to talk to you specifically about it. Um, one, I've heard you cover this in a number of ways. Uh, I've heard you sort of drip the information in different podcasts that you've recorded. You could tell it's something that's been on your mind quite a bit. Uh, and then you've also had several guests on specifically to talk about this topic. And maybe you weren't covering bow hunting in particular when you were talking with these guests, but it was very clear how what you were gleaning from their work or their talks or whatever uh, was was applicable for what for for deer hunting. The second reason is uh, I, I don't think this gets the press that it deserves, right? Like we spend yeah. a lot of time talking about uh, strategy and all kinds of good stuff, and and uh, we don't necessarily always get down to this one thing. And I think this might be the one thing to help a guy take his whitetail hunting to the next level, like yeah. to be more consistent. And the third is entirely selfish. Uh, I I blew tons of opportunities last year uh like i said it's my first year in wisconsin i had more encounters with deer in general and especially with nice bucks 
than I've ever had before in a single season. And I was not able to get it done. And as I looked back, I tried to sort of boil it all down, you know, trying to think, okay, at the end of the day, what could I have done to improve, to get better? Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was, I just didn't have my head in the game, you know, and at a lot of different times when it really counted, I didn't have my head in the game. So I'm still working through my own thoughts about this. Uh, so if I'm missing something today, feel free to sort of like help me circle back around or get, yeah. get sort of to the meat of what I'm, what I'm looking for here. But I want to I start with this. What first got you thinking about the mental side of bow hunting? Hmm. It's a good question. I, I think it probably has to do with just a general fascination that I have with two things. And one of those things is just like human psychology. I'm just fascinated by why we do what we do, how we do what we do, just, just how the mind and body works in tandem and, and what that leads to. Just super interesting. I'm fascinated by that. So I just have this natural predisposition to want to learn about those things. And the second thing is I also am fascinated by with kind of personal development. I constantly want to be growing, changing, learning evolving. Um, and so those two things have naturally led me to a lot of different ideas around mindset, around, you know, mental strength, around a, a number of different philosophies and ideas around that kind of thing. And so with that natural fascination and those types of things, and then my obsession with all things deer hunting, it eventually just became very clear, like, oh, wow, all the stuff I'm learning about here so directly perfectly applies to deer hunting and so many times i see deer hunting as this perfect um like metaphor for life in so many ways too so like there's so many things you go through as a deer hunter that if you can learn to adapt and be resilient and and, and work through all these different things and if you if you do that you can pull all these lessons and all these little moments that you can then apply to your regular life. And it's sometimes harder to do in regular life when you're just trying to keep your head above water and pay the bills and do all this kind of stuff. But when you're in deer hunting, somehow, at least for me, it's this great way to almost, almost like role play life in this little microcosm. And then you can handpick these moments and these lessons and these like, wow, I was able to push through that thing. Or wow, I was able to get my head right and get back in the game. Or wow, I was able to adapt to this challenge and this challenge and this challenge. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, I could do that in this situation. And I've figured out how this works. I could probably do that with this challenge I'm, I'm experiencing in, in the day job. Um, so there's just so many of these parallels that I saw and uh, it, it's just continued to bounce back and forth. I see it. I can be reading a book about, I don't know, something as bizarre and, you know, unrelated to deer hunting is like stoic philosophy or, uh, you know, psychology of your inner voice and you know, this stuff that I think a lot of people would think like I'm a kook for reading about, but I see like, <laughs> wow, it's like this person's talking about my deer hunting season. And uh, so that, that's kind of why I geek out about it. And I found it very interesting. And I found it's, it's helped me a ton in my hunting. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. A couple of episodes when you first started sort of taking this turn in a lot of the podcast episodes that you've recorded, you'd kind of give a disclaimer at the beginning, like, look, we're not talking specifically whitetail strategy, yeah. but I promise this is we're going to get we're going to get there, you know, kind yeah. of thing. But I have yeah. so appreciated those those specific episodes cool. like those are the ones that I'm like. You know, I, I feel like I'm getting deer strategy from every corner of the outdoor mm -hmm. space, right? Like everyone's pummeling me with that. But yeah. but it's that mental side of things 
that I'm not getting from a lot of other places. And, and two, I, I see, like you're saying, the benefit of that for every part of my life, like not just being a good deer hunter, but being a good dad, yeah. being a good husband, being yeah. a good coworker and employee, you know, so it, it spills over in, into lots of different areas. Um, why do you think we don't hear a lot about this in the hunting industry? Like if it's, if it's important and I think, I think you've made a good case that it is important. Why don't we hear a lot about it? You know, I think it's probably a couple of things. I think number one, there's a certain pressure within the deer hunting world to always focus on big bucks and what's going to kill big bucks and talking about all that kind of stuff. And so there's probably a lot of folks within this media community who just feel like that stuff wouldn't sell or that stuff wouldn't work or that stuff wouldn't be interesting or popular or whatever. And so they avoid it maybe more. So I might just be an anomaly in that there maybe aren't a lot of other people in this space who are as interested in that kind of stuff as I am. Um, like I'm a nerd. I'm a weird guy. I don't, there's not a whole <laughs> lot of other people doing the whole deer hunting thing. They have like 10,000 books behind them, right. In their bookshelf and who spend every night, reading for a couple hours about these things. So I'm just kind of weird. And yeah. so that might be part of it. Um, and, and I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an obvious connection if you look at it one way, but if you don't think the way, at least I'm looking at these things, there's probably a lot of people who think like, there's no way this stuff's relevant to people wanting to kill deer. So maybe it's just not as obvious to some folks. Um, and I just happen to be like that unique you know, there's a handful of us that have this kind of unique set of interests that all, you know, overlap to, to realize like, oh, wow, this is very applicable. Yeah. Um, and then maybe it's just not as, I don't know, this is the case with a lot of things within the hunting world, but there's a lot to this that's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to make concrete changes on the mental side and, and see the results of it, maybe harder than it is to say, put a trail camera on a scrape and you'll get pictures of a big buck, right? I mean, that's something that's <laughs> pretty easy to explain, pretty easy to, to execute on and pretty easy to see results on. It's a lot harder to say, you know, do this kind of thing when you're thinking about how to handle adversity, think about these choices and think about these um, different reference points. I don't, I mean, it's just, it's just not as simple. So yeah it probably just doesn't fit the mold and that's why we don't see it as often. The nice thing about the podcasting space and, uh, and the nice thing about kind of the position I'm in with my, with what I do, I guess, is that I have the freedom to explore these different corners of the room that others probably don't. Uh, I've been fortunate to have that ability to do that and, and I can still pay the bills. So uh, I guess I'm just lucky in that way. Yeah, for sure. And you can, you can have those conversations that don't fit into a 1200 or 2000 word article, mm -hmm. you know, or blog post or something like that. Like, exactly. like they really require long form communication and you yeah. see the, the drive today, everything's moving shorter, shorter, shorter articles are getting shorter. Videos are getting shorter, yeah. um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's fitting stuff into the time that people have, but yep. you do miss out on some of those things that require long form communication. Yeah. Uh, so that can be, that can be a bit, a bit tougher. Um, so up until this past year, I was listening to some of your podcasts and, and hearing you cover this stuff. I was hearing about it and it was in my, on my radar, but I had never really, uh, I guess, made that crucial connection that this is something that I need to proactively work on, 
right? Like I, I was aware of it. I knew about it. But until this past year, looking back at my season, I never sat down and said, okay, I've got to do something to work on this. I've got to improve in this area because I'm doing everything else right. I'm getting where I need to be. And this is costing me. Um, how would you pitch this idea of mental preparedness to the average guy that was like me that maybe doesn't necessarily see, uh, see the importance of taking a proactive approach and, and working at it? Well, I think, I think this is one of those areas of development that impact every single aspect of hunting. So you could say, well, I'm going to try to really get good at shooting my bow this year. I'm going to try to get better at that. And that's going to help you in one moment of truth. It's going to help you in a very important one, but it's one facet where you might be able to say, hey, you know what? I really need to get better at scouting. And so I'm going to spend a lot of time this spring scouting. I'm going to get out there glassing this summer. And that's, that's great. And that's important. That's going to help you. But that's only one, you know, tenth of everything else that goes into a hunt or whatever it is, or one quarter, whatever you want to call it. Um, but getting your mind right and having a, a, a mental fitness regimen almost, or having a set of, a set of kind of foundations to be able to fall back on when the shit hits the fan in some kind of way, um, that impacts everything that could impact how you handle your bow, how you handle archery pressure, how you think about getting in your scouting throughout the year. It'll impact how you're thinking about your stand selection strategy. It will impact how you handle a moment in the field when you're trying to determine, should I hunt here? Should I hunt there? When you're trying to figure out how to bounce back from a miss, when you're trying to figure out how to adapt to the fact that 72 other people just showed up on the same piece of property you're trying to hunt. And now you need to scramble to figure out game plan B or C or D. This stuff impacts every single piece of every single one of those, every different possibility out there. There's only one common thing that is part of every part of those. And that's your brain. That's your inner voice. That's like you trying to figure all that stuff out. So if I could somehow just, just fine tune and lubricate the gears of the machine that's responsible for all of those choices and all of those uh, processes. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And that's what this kind of stuff does. I mean, this is, this is right. You do exercise for your body, right? So you can hike up to the top of that ridge or so you can hike in four miles back to that nasty swamp or so you can kayak across the river to get access to that hard to hunt place or so you can haul in a tree stand, whatever it is. Like people seem to, see the connection between like physical exercise and results. Uh, well, the same thing has to do with uh, kind of mental exercise and whitetail hunting in particular is an incredibly mental game. I mean, that's why the, some of this stuff is so obvious to me is that so much we're doing is decision-making. It's just like mental gymnastics we're doing, right? We're not, we're not climbing up 3000 feet of elevation and chasing a, big old forest horse, like an elk, right? No, we're, we're trying to set an ambush. We're trying to set a mouse trap for a really sneaky, smart deer. And we're trying to think about what this deer is going to be thinking about and what we need to do to account for that and how to use this piece of terrain and this wind direction and this behavior by deer and put all these pieces together. It's just a massive chess match. It's, it's all here. It's all in your head. It's all decision-making and adapting and resiliency. And then, you know, game planning out, if this happens, then what? And then if that happens, then what? It's all mental. Um, so 
I don't think there's anything more important than making sure you've got that whole thing running, running on, you know, overdrive and making sure that when the inevitable happens, which is that a monkey wrench will be thrown into the gears. That's the only thing I can guarantee you on almost every single hunting season, there will be wrenches thrown into the machinery. Um, do you have a plan for dealing with that? And these ideas, all this stuff that I like to read about, it, it gives me the reminders and the tools and the suggestions of ways to handle those monkey wrenches so that, you know, when, the, when something bad happens or when something changes and I don't have a plan, I can figure out, okay, you know what? I remember reading this. This is a good way to think about it. Or I remember to do this, or I remember I got to fall back on these basic principles. Um, cause I'm, I'm a very fallible, normal dude. Like all of us are just like people that are imperfect and we all struggle in our own ways. And so if there's anything I can do ahead of time to kind of like beef up the defenses for the crap I know that's coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to do that. And yeah. I, I would suggest others try to as well. For sure. So you mentioned several, uh, of several of those areas, I think where guys, uh, lack of men mental fitness, fortitude, uh, ability to recover from, from sort of really difficult things that happen in the woods. You, you mentioned several of them. Are there any other like big picture category areas where you're like, this specifically is a mistake that I see guys making all the time. And it's specifically related to their lack of mental preparedness. Well, I think there's a few categories. I'll, I'll throw out some categories and then you can let me know if you want to dive into these further. But I think there's a whole category around pressure, like handling high pressure mental situations. That's like a whole line of stuff there. There's another category around decision making. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, depth to decision making. And I think there's obviously a lot of parallels within the whitetail world. I think there's a lot you can explore into handling adversity and how to adapt to recover from uh, just handling the, the, the crap that's going to come your way. Um, I think there is something around, and this one is something that I don't think even gets talked about as much by myself when it comes to the mental side of things, but satisfaction like how to like there's a whole lot of psychology and mental stuff around like how we derive happiness satisfaction uh whatever it might be from the things we do and and that is so applicable within hunting uh, as so many of us are trying to keep up with the joneses or keep up with the instagram and try to you know match what we're doing to what we're seeing so and so do on youtube or tv and then how happy we are, we are with our success or with our season sometimes is dependent on how it relates to what these people are doing. So there's like all sorts of this like envy and weird stuff going on that's influencing how much we enjoy our hunting or how we hunt or why we do what we do. So there's a lot there. Um, those are the big things that come to mind. Pressure, decision-making, adversity, satisfaction, yeah, that, those are the big ones that jump out to me right off the gate. Yeah. So as I've sort of been working through my own uh, thoughts, I've I've noticed sort of a similar collection, I guess you could say, of, of categories or, or, or areas. So I want to try to take these and maybe throw them at you in a 
uh, in a real world circumstance. So here's specifically how these kinds of things come up. And I want to start yeah. with that idea of satisfaction, because I feel like at the end of the day, that's sort of a base level um, for everything about how I view my time in the woods, right? Like if, if, if I am only going to be satisfied by regular encounters with a mature buck and getting shots, uh, then I either need to move to Iowa <laughs> or I need to, I need to rewire what I'm thinking about. I, I need to rewire how I gauge success. So, so what are, what is Mark Kenyon doing, especially going into this fall, right? Like you're going to be all over the place. What is Mark Kenyon doing to appropriately calibrate your concept of success to keep you on top of your mental game? Yeah. So there's a couple things. Um, I am a very results oriented person. I'm naturally goal driven, naturally a pusher. Um, and so that can be a good thing in a lot of ways, but it can also be uh, a detriment to me because my natural state is to push, push, push. And then if I'm not getting what I'm pushing for, get frustrated, get upset, feel disappointed. Um, and so I can very quickly go that way unless I kind of am on my A game trying to remind myself not to do that. Uh, so that, you know, results or what that looks like for me is that every year on any traveling hunt or during the rut or whenever it is, or I have these high stakes and high pressure that I'm placing on myself to achieve the goal I have, um, I need to constantly be reminding myself to focus on the process and not the end result, to try to be process motivated, to remember that the real thing that I actually care about, and, and it's true when I allow myself to step back and look at it, is that what I really love about this stuff is not pulling the trigger on a big mature buck and standing over a dead deer. It's about all the work that goes into it. It's about all those mornings when the birds start chirping, the sun comes up and you hear the crunching leaves behind you. It's about all those days you stare at trail camera pictures, so excited with anticipation, just going out your ears. Um, it's about all those nights when you meet up with your buddies after the hunt, you tell stories and you talk about this happened, this happened. And then you start thinking, all right, what should I do tomorrow? The winds come out of the West. I'm thinking if I go this way and this way, this will work. And then your buddy's giving you other ideas and you sit there for two hours dreaming and spitballing and game planning. It's all that stuff that makes this hunting thing. So so damn amazing who cares if i ultimately kill that deer or not and who cares what anybody else thinks about whether i kill that buck or not um i constantly have to remind myself of that and if i can remind myself of that then i kind of appreciate those little things more um so usually there's i don't know how many times a year but there are a handful of times every year where i will find myself getting down in the dumps kind of just sitting there in a tree stand or at home, just thinking, ah, I suck. This thing's not going the way I want to. I'm never going to, I'm never going to get kill that deer. Everyone's going to think I'm a bozo or whatever. And I've just kind of developed a, um, an alarm system for those moments where all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, shake yourself out of it, man. Remember it's about the process. It's about the journey. It, just enjoy the journey. Just have fun tomorrow. Just get out there. And who cares if that buck shows up or not? Do the thing you know you got to do. Do it right. Execute on the plan, but enjoy it. Don't get so wrapped up in whether or not you fail the tag or not. Enjoy the process. And usually what I find is that when you let yourself just 
take a step back from the, the mission and just enjoy the process, you start having more success too. So that's one thing. Another thing directly related to what I'm talking about is kind of having just like a gratitude practice or just reminding yourself to be grateful for stuff. It's so easy, at least for me, maybe this, maybe this isn't just me, but I think it's a lot of other people. It's that when the thing you're ultimately chasing isn't as easy or when stuff starts happening that's frustrating or challenging or whatever, it's really easy to focus on the negative. I think a lot of us, I think it's human nature sometimes, it's like an evolutionary survival mechanism probably to focus on the negative, like to focus on the bad stuff because the people that focus on the bad stuff are probably the ones that survived. <laughs> so we still do that today, but it's not as useful for us today because most of us have our basic survival needs covered. And now we're just focusing on all these little nitty picky things that when we focus on, they become bigger in our minds and we obsess over them and they make us feel worse when really they're not that big of a deal. So what I've tried to do and which helps me is if I'm ever feeling on about something, if I'm ever out there and hunting and, and not happy about what's happening because some guy stole my trail camera and three other guys are in here hunting and they bumped everything around and there's no way I'm going to be able to kill that buck I'm after now. And what a disaster. This is a shit show. What am I even doing out here? When I start talking like that or having those experiences, again, this alarm system goes off and I'm going to tell myself, focus on the process, blah, 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 like I just said. And then it's also, also find like literally, and this sounds so like cheesy, but literally start listing out the things you're grateful for. Like there is science that proves that just by thinking about or writing down the stuff you're grateful for, it actually triggers chemical signals in your brain that start making you feel better right away. And so I will just be like, hey, shut up, Mark. Yeah, some stuff went wrong, but let's talk about what's good. You're sitting in a tree in Iowa. It's beautiful out. You, anything could show up in the next hour. Like this is the dream. You spend years dreaming about this kind of thing. That's awesome. Or guess what? You're out here today and yeah, the hunt's not going real great, but this afternoon your son's going to be out here and you're going to take him out and he's going to be out wanting to hear about how your hunt went. And he's going to be so excited to see the pictures and that's going to be so awesome. Um, you got nothing to complain about. So just this little gratitude reminder, if you can just remind yourself to push that button, take five minutes while I'm sitting in the tree or that home that night when you get home, after a rough hunt or whatever it is, a rough trip, you spend all this money and all this time on this big rut vacation you were going to take to Iowa or Wisconsin or wherever, and it didn't work out. Come home. You're frustrated. You're mad. If you can hit this little gratitude button and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. It didn't go as planned, but here's something I can do. I can, let's just, let's just take two minutes tonight when no one's looking and no one's going to judge me. I'm going to write down all the stuff I'm grateful for from this trip. And you're going to be amazed at how much good stuff there was. And you're going to actually look back on this stuff 10 years from now. And those will be the things you remember, those funny stories, those moments, those sunrises or sunsets, that coffee midday when you came back on the tailgate with your buddies and we're telling about oh, how this thing got screwed up and this crazy thing that happened, how you guys all laughed about it. Those are the things that really matter. And if you can just kind of knock yourself in the noggin every once in a while and remind yourself of that you'll start feeling better right away. And as soon as you start feeling better right away, then you're back to making good decisions. You're back to getting in the game. You're back to going on to the next step and moving on to, you know, what's next. And, and that's a pretty powerful thing to be able to do. Um, but it takes these little reminders, at least for me, like I need to 
be reminded of these things. I need to read about this stuff every once in a while. I need to hear someone tell me like, Hey, try to try this thing, try this thing. Um, because like my natural, I don't know, many of our natural inclinations is to go the opposite direction. Um, so those things have really helped me to, to stay satisfied, to stay excited and happy and having a good time. And then finally, you know, just reminding yourself that what we people and humans just do all the time is stupid. And that is comparing ourselves to other people. Like we compare, like that is like the human condition is to compare. There is, it's hard to be satisfied in like an absolute sense. So we always try to like compare to someone. It's hard to like look at yourself and just say, oh, like I'm doing well, or this is going great or whatever. It's, it's more natural many times to try to say, how is what I'm doing comparing to this person or to this set of people or to this ideal? But that is like a very dangerous, slippery slope because there's always going to be better. There's always going to be someone who's doing better. There's always going to be someone who's having a better day or a better season or who whatever and social media in particular has made it so easy for us to see how everybody else is doing. Um, and it's a, it's like a filtered version of reality though. So we're just seeing everyone that's having a great day that day. We're just seeing on TV, everyone who has the absolute best set of circumstances. And so if you are constantly comparing yourself to other people, when it comes in this example, deer hunting, we're almost always all going to feel inferior and not as good as everybody else. And feel bad about whatever we're doing. And uh, it's natural to do that, but it's also usually setting yourself up for disappointment. So that's the third piece of like the tripod, I guess, of satisfaction is understanding like, okay, this is a natural thing I'm doing right now, but it's stupid. And so <laughs> remind yourself like, ah, who cares what Mark Drury shot this year? Who cares what Mark Kenyon shot this year? Uh, and then the flip side, who cares what they do think about what I shot? If someone, if you post a picture of a deer you shot online and then someone's like, yeah, I should have left it for another year. Like I get that all the time. And that stuff can be frustrating and irritating and naturally makes you want to punch someone. Um, but, you know, if you can just kind of have that little reset and say, whatever, like I just remove yourself from it. Just enjoy your thing. Hunt your own hunt. I always am trying to remind myself and other people, like, just hunt your hunt. Who cares what someone else is doing? Who cares what other people think? Who cares if it's glamorous or not? If it's cool or not? If the way you do things is just like all the cool kids, whatever. Hunt your hunt. Have fun. Enjoy the process. Be outside. Make the most of it. Um, screw the haters. Yeah, that's good. Quote of the day from Mark Kenyon. Screw the haters. <laughs> I want to put that on a T-shirt. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so much of what you just talked about ties into the next thing that I want to ask you about, which is decision making. Right. Because if you can't if, if you aren't satisfied, let's say, like if you're just grumpy and down about your hunt, you're not going to be making good decisions. Specifically, though, um, for me, I noticed last year, uh, I, I committed to just being extremely mobile last year, my first year here, I figured, let's just let's just go all in, I'm hunting the freshest, hottest sign every yeah. single sit, you know, uh, and I did that. And I put myself in a lot of good places. But oftentimes, I found myself getting in there, and I'm just overwhelmed by the possibilities and the variables. And uh, there were a couple of times that it cost me there was there was one morning uh, that I just dilly dallied for too long. 
you know, and I just back and forth and hemmed and hawed. And next thing you know, the sun's coming up and I'm, I'm getting in the tree after first light. And literally as I'm setting up, a buck comes through to the scrape. I'm trying to get my bow in hand and he busts me. Right. So, I mean, if I would have just, and, and that was the first tree that I'd picked out, you know, if I, if I just climbed the tree in the first place, I'd have been, I'd have been fine. Yeah. So, so how, how do you, um, how do you handle decision-making and uh, something that I've heard you talk a bit about with yourself, how do you avoid overthinking things whenever it comes to making decisions in the woods? Yeah. I don't have the silver bullet, unfortunately. <laughs> like you said, it's something that I struggle with too. Um, but what I've tried to, what I, what I try to do is I try to simplify. I try to approach it kind of like, like a science experiment, I guess, as much as I can. And so I try to, whenever I find myself overthinking or getting just wound up, I'll try to simplify and say, okay, what are the basic variables we're, we're dealing with here? Like, what are the basic things? Okay, here's where the deer are most likely. Here's where the deer most likely want to go. Here's where the deer are most likely traveling. I, I try to just lay out the pieces of my, almost like a recipe, lay out my, my ingredients, very simple. I'll, and I, I will literally just, when I find myself all in the tizzy, I'll say, whoa, 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 slow down. Let's go back to basics. Here's part, here's part A, here's part B here's part C and just kind of lay it out in my mind and then just think, okay, what's, what's the obvious thing? What's the obvious thing? Okay. I want to get in between a and C and I want to be downwind. Okay. That's the simplest thing. Okay. So now that cuts all my options down from like, I had a hundred options. Now it's down to just this slice. And then all of a sudden, then you can fine tune. It becomes a little bit simpler, but I think what is typically the most the, the most challenging part is then like evaluating. So you, you pick an option that you think is going to be the best thing. So that's like in a science experiment, you, you kind of observe your situation, then you make a guess. I'm going to make a guess. So this is like your hypothesis. And your hypothesis is that I think that they are going from A to B, and I think I need to be on the south side of this to be able to catch this movement. So you make a choice. You, you choose your hypothesis. Now you have to test it. So you have to run the experiment, which is sitting in the tree that day or coming back in a month and sitting there or whatever it is, and then analyzing the results of it and then figuring out what do I do next? That's oftentimes the hardest thing. It's like you made a decision, you sat there and then it's okay, now what? And so this is that whole requirement, this whole process of trying to analyze why things happened the way they did. I think that's a really, really, really important question to ask at all phases of the hunting season is why? Always th these two questions always ask why, and then always be asking now what? So the why can apply to so much. If you see a buck traveling across the fence row, I try really hard not to just see that, but I try to observe it and then ask why. So I see a buck walk across the fence row. Why was he doing that? Why was he working that direction? Why did he come from that way and go that way? Why was he walking on that side of the fence row and not the other? Was this because it was on November 4th and he was cruising or was he do was this October 4th and he was going from a bedding area to a feeding area or how did he move there? Was he running? Well, if he was running that way, maybe he was spooked by someone from coming from the other direction or maybe he was walking calmly. Like I always want to ask why, because that is kind of filling up my hopper of information that then I can lay out in front of me next time I'm trying to make a decision. So always asking why. And then once you observe these things and you're on to the next thing, it's like, okay, now what? I know this new thing. I added this 
piece of information to my table of ingredients. Now, okay, now I know that they are probably coming from A. Now I know they're probably going to B. Now I know they're likely to go past this direction in the middle. But, hey, I just watched that buck go this way, and he had this wind direction, and he was actually moving in a way I didn't realize. He actually was using that fence row, um, not in the way I would have thought, but actually using the wind to his back, and he was, I don't know what it might be, but I'm trying to add information to my ingredients table. And then you have to then observe and make a decision based on that. So you're testing your hypothesis and then you're saying, okay, what happened and why? And what does that mean for the next move I'm going to do? And the trick, and even as like I'm saying all these things, all this stuff, it's hard to, this stuff's just not easy, right? It's just not easy. So I think the, I think the big takeaway for me is to try to, try to simplify it in the moment. And then what you got to avoid those when you run this experiment, when you run this test, th again, go back to process versus results. So there is this kind of bias that we have, like a, it's called like a cognitive bias, which is like just basically like a hitch we all have in our mind, like a little flaw in the human mind, which is that we always, or at least we're tempted often to over, um, to overvalue the results of a single instance. So we are fooled by randomness. When we see that buck go in, running across the field one time, and he went from right to left, let's say he came from the west and headed to the east. It's very easy to see something happen once and be like, that's the rule. He went from east to west, he did this thing, and now I'm going to make a play on that because that's what these bucks do or whatever. Or maybe one time you decide to go hunt in this little draw and you got winded by a deer that first time. And you're going to say, I can't hunt there anymore. Uh, deer are going to win me. Not, never going to do that again. And this is referred to as resulting where you will jump to conclusions based off like a single result and like assume a rule based on a single result really it might have just been a random occurrence so you have to be careful and like yes ask why yes try like run a test and see what the results are but be careful in how quickly you jump to assumptions so what i would try to do is make a decision see what happens and then analyze the other result but then also analyze the process did i make the right did i make the right steps along the way did i execute on the thing the right way did the situation play out the way i would have thought do i need to see this again to make a decision um i mean there's, there's there you can get down wormholes of this kind of stuff but i i think the most important thing for me has been to like approach these things in a thoughtful manner versus just like winging it i used to just like wing it and just go out there and, and hunt you know, willy nilly or hunt just based on like what I was told. Um, and I've started to try to just be more analytical and like hunt based on what I've seen and the results I've seen and how my process led to those results. And if it is not in line with the rule I was told by some writer 20 years ago, that's fine. Test your own hypotheses, come up with your own theories 
analyze what's happening, always be asking why, but don't just stop after one observation. Keep asking why, keep asking why, keep adjusting, keep learning, keep adjusting, keep learning. Watch what happens, adjust. Watch what happens, adjust. And keep on running these little experiments yourself. Um, that's how I approach this. But like you said, you know, even as I'm saying all this, you can absolutely see how this could lead to like overthinking things, of course, right? I mean, probably someone could listen to the last 10 minutes of what I've said and say, that dude's thinking too much. <laughs> and, and there might be truth to that, um, which then is when I remind myself to go back to just having fun and chill out. So this is all a big cycle of, uh, of getting deep into stuff. And then sometimes finding when you go too deep into it and pulling out and saying, ah, relax, enjoy it. And then maybe the next day is like, I'm going deep into the decision-making process and trying to pick the right places and get it just right. And then if you go too far with it, sometimes ah, relax, chill out. And so that push and pull, maybe that's a healthy thing. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think something that as you were talking, something that came to my mind is, is I'm, I'm not often okay with settling for the experiment. I get in there and I'm like, today is the freaking day. <laughs> like yeah. this is the day a deer ends up on the ground for me. And, and it's like, there is no tomorrow. And so I, I don't, I, I often don't take the time to say, I can come back out in the morning. Yeah, I can be back out here this evening. I, I, I feel that pressure of it's got to be right now. And so I, I think if I can get over that hurdle uh, and, and view it a little bit more like an experiment, like what you're saying, and just being okay with, okay, my process will last beyond today. I've got one buck tag anyway. Like I might as well enjoy my season. Yeah, uh, you know, as it comes. Well, I know you've got a hard stop time here in a few minutes, and I've got two more scenarios that I want to run by you if we can squeeze sure. squeeze these two in. Um, one of them is uh, when I'm on stand, uh, I think when other guys are on stand, uh, something that cost me last year, and I think has cost a lot of other folks is just not being focused. You know, mm -hmm. you, you hear the, the I, I looked and he was just there. No, he wasn't. Yeah, that deer made a noise. Like he did, he didn't just appear in front of you uh, out of the ground. Like he walked yeah. in, you know, he didn't fly in or teleport. Like he, he walked. Um, and, and so, but I had several instances last year where I just, my head wasn't in the game. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to keep that sort of, I don't know, this may sound cliche, but that killer instinct, mm -hmm. you know, I'm there to do what I'm there to do. I'm not yeah. here to just enjoy the weather. So, so what are you doing on stand? To keep yourself dialed in i mean I'm, I'm not talking those early season you know two or three hour hunts or whatever i mean those you know six seven hour sits uh through the rut yeah it's not easy i mean i struggle with it too um and i, I go back and forth between you know sometimes distraction can be good if it can keep you out there right so i'll tell myself you know it's okay to to look at your phone every once in a while and or read an ebook on your phone or something, because if it keeps you out in the tree for the whole day or something, that's better than not being there at all. On the flip side, those same things can often be what loses you your opportunity. I've specifically had that happen. Um, so it is, it is, it is an absolute challenge that is not easy to handle. And it just requires like, just like a little bit of mental awareness to just catch yourself when you're doing that and be like, focus on what you're focused on. Like really, like I don't have a trick here. I have no trick to it other than I have to, usually the thing that's most important for me is uh, put the phone away. Like just the phone is my biggest enemy for sure. It's so easy to get like sucked in. I find like sometimes when I, what I've done, the best thing I've done is like 
physically remove the phone from the easy to get placed. So when I catch myself like being too distracted by it, I will take it and take it out of my coat pocket. I will put it in like, I'll bury it in the backpack and have it so out of, out of reach that I just can't. And it's embarrassing when I do that, how often I find myself like reaching for it. Like, Oh, I can't, I don't have it. And then like a minute later, I look around, there's no deer a minute later. My, my hand all of a sudden starts like, Oh, look at the phone. I'm like, geez, like, what is wrong with you? We are so, we've become so programmed for like nonstop stimulation um, that it's really hard to not do that. And um, so I've had to just like get it away from me. That's the best way I've found to not be distracted is like get it out of reach, remove the temptation, like make it physically impossible to be tempted by that. Um, That helps a lot. Another very simple trick is just give yourself little rewards throughout the day. So like the, this very, very simple childish hack for me getting through a full day on the tree stand during the rut is to plan out little treats that I'm allowed to have every hour. So like, all right, at 9 a.m., you can eat that Snickers bar. And I know that I have that to look forward to. And then at 9 a.m., I'm going to enjoy that Snickers bar and I'll kind of milk it and it'll last me 10 minutes and it's wonderful. And it gives me that little boost of whatever I need to stay kind of attentive and just add it for another hour. And then at 10 a.m., I get that Oreo. And then I'm looking forward to that Oreo for the 10 minutes leading up to it. And then while I'm eating that Oreo for 10 minutes, I'm really enjoying it. And then for 10 minutes after that, I've got that little sugar boost. I'm like, damn, that was a good Oreo. And then I know at 11 a.m. I get a little mini pack of Skittle or whatever. Like I'm like a 10-year-old child, but it works. It absolutely helps. And it's a, it's a very simple thing. And maybe maybe it should be like a protein bar and a, I don't know, pack of unsalted almonds <laughs> to be healthier. But for me, it's it's little pieces of candy. And that's a very simple little thing that's helped me just keep a little bit of an edge, just have a little system that helps you out in that kind of way. So those are two things that have helped me some, but I still, I still struggle too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had one instance last year where, uh, I had a, it was, it was, um, I think it was like November 10th or 11th or something like that. And I had a buck come through a, a big one, like biggest one I've ever seen in person I'm running through at just a, almost a dead sprint nose to the ground, just moving. And, um, I grunted at him, all kinds of stuff. Couldn't get him stopped. And I, I had been on my phone before that. And then he runs through and I'm trying to grunt at him and he just tears off. Uh-huh. So as I'm grunting at him, uh, I don't think anything of it. He doesn't pay me any attention. So I put the grunt tube down and I pull my phone back out again to text. Hey, this deer just <laughs> came through. You wouldn't believe it. And a huge eight pointer comes running out of the bedding area that I'm sitting downwind of right underneath my tree. Now, if I had grabbed my bow and the grunt tube, I could have had that thing. But instead, I grabbed my phone to text my wife and say, you're never going to believe what I just missed an opportunity at. <laughs> and so I missed an opportunity at another one. So uh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, the phone is the enemy for sure. Yes, uh, it is. Well, last, last scenario I, I want to run, run by you is I, I'm one of those guys when it comes to the moment of truth, I just black out. And next thing I know, there's an arrow downrange somewhere mm-hmm. and it either yeah. hit the deer or it didn't. Most of the time it didn't, <laughs> at least yeah. for, la- for, for me last year. Um, what do you do in that moment to sort of bring yourself into the present, to override all those, all that primal uh, stuff that starts happening in us, the release of adrenaline and our brains just freaking out? 
How do you bring yourself into the present to make that moment count? Yeah. So a couple of things. Number one, you know, there's nothing that's helped me more than just doing it more and more times. So the more experience, the better you slowly get over time. So one of the simplest pieces of advice I can give a, a newer hunter would be don't hold out for some big old buck. Like just, just get experience getting shots of deer, shoot a lot of does, kill young bucks, whatever it is, get experience under your belt going through those moments. Cause nothing helps more than that. Uh, number two, this is again, this is kind of a theme here, become process focused. So for me, the biggest thing has been regaining control of the process. I was exactly like you. And I, I still have moments where I can get that way. Um, but I used to be like blackout, like the buck was there. And then next thing I know, the arrow was gone. It's like, what happened in between those two moments? Um, I, I like a guy named Joel Turner has got a great kind of system around this. It's helped me out a lot. It's all about, yeah. So it's been all about just having a, a mantra and a system of steps that you go through that you have control over and that there are like speed bumps in the road. So that if you find yourself moving towards taking that shot and you're out of control, if you kind of practice enough that if I got to do part A and then from part A is part B and then from B it's C. And if you find yourself skipping those things or something feels off, you have to build in some kind of break system to say, ah, no, 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 no. You got to stop. Um, so just having like, for me, it's, you know, I know as I'm drawing back, I'm just get the pin on and then I anchor and it's all right, watch it, keep it. And so I've got like, words, actual v verbal words that I'm saying to myself that keep me in that process. And this is, this is not easy. Like it's, it's easier said than done. I don't get this right all the time. So I need to make that very clear, but I practice this all the time. And it helps more often this thing goes as planned. And I just know, okay, this process, this next step leads to anchoring. And once I'm anchored in that, I'm just going to let off the safety on my release. And now it's just pull, 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 pull. And that leads me to the final thing, which something that has helped a lot has been moving to a back tension release because it just forces you to be slower. You can't rush it the way you can rush an index finger release. I was, I got very, trigger happy on the index finger like as soon as the pin hit the vitals it was like gone i had no control over it just like as soon as it was there it was firing and i just can't do that with a back tension release anymore it's forced me to be slower and it's also forced me you know if it's not going to be a good shot you just can't rush a shot like if this isn't going to be a shot we're gonna have time to get on there and hold and pull i just can't take it and you can't get an arrow back. You can never take that back. If you force yourself into a shot, you shouldn't. Um, so it's a great reminder and a great way to force you into being much more selective and careful about when you do decide to move forward with that process. Uh, last year I made a mistake and I didn't do that. I rushed a shot that I shouldn't have because I felt the pressure. Like this is my only chance in this deer. I got to take this shot. And I, you know, made a stupid move and tried to force something through a little hole and brush and, and miss the deer. And uh, so that's, that's human nature. That's the thing you're always gonna have to battle, but I definitely feel that I'm much more capable of navigating those situations now with this kind of thoughtful control process that, you know, maybe nine times out of 10, now I get it right. And only one time out of 10, I screwed up versus back in the day, it might've been 50, 50. Um, so that's something that has helped. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mark, I, th I think you've given folks 
a lot to chew on here. I hope this is a good resource for folks. Hopefully, uh, they've got some takeaways that they can apply to their situation, become better deer hunters. Uh, for those who may not know, where can they find more from Mark Kenyon? Yeah, I mean, you can Google Wired Hunt, and it'll probably take you anywhere you want to go. Uh, if you go to themeateater.com slash wired, that's going to take you to the Wired Hunt homepage where you're going to find all of our new articles, videos, podcasts. Um, you can sign up for a newsletter, and we email you all the new stuff every week too. So I, I check out all those things. There's a lot of new stuff. We've got a full team now, and we are, we're pumping out the educational materials that hopefully will help folks this year. Yeah, I get you guys' newsletter. It's excellent, full of good information. So appreciate you guys putting all of that together. Uh, until next time, Mark, thanks for coming on, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Good luck right. this season. Thanks, man. Have a good one. And that is a wrap. Big thanks to Mark for coming on the episode and taking his time uh, to share with us some tips of how we can uh, be better prepared as we enter into the woods this fall. Um, also, big thanks to you, the listener. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you. So uh, appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I hope you learned something from it. I know I took a lot away from this conversation do want to remind you, if you are having success this fall, reach out to me. Let me know. I'd love to hear your story. Tag me in the photos. I'd love to see those as well. With all that said, uh, the time is getting right. Get out in the woods. Get after some whitetails. Hey, if pheasant hunting's your thing, do that. If waterfowl hunting's your thing, do that. Whatever it is that you do, make sure you're getting outside and enjoying the incredible resource that is ours as Wisconsin sportsmen. Mm-hmm.